God's grace, His mercy, and His peace be with you today through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Today, let's talk about repentance and the road back to God whenever we go away from Him into sin. That's for the unbeliever as well as for the Christian when he sins. How far back is the road to God whenever we go away from Him? Is it a short road back or is it a long road back? Is it a lengthy road or is it fast and quick? Let's take a look at that today and talk about repentance uh, and sin. What's it mean to repent? How do we repent? And what does God do for us when we come to Him repenting? You know, is God kind of like, uh, you know, standoffish and be like, well, you sinned and it looks pretty bad, so I'll get back with you about whether I'll forgive you or not. Or is he quick to forgive and fast? Let's take a look at that for our hope in Christ today. The road back to God, the road of repentance. And what God wants us to know about that today, in his word, the truth of the matter. Let's look at that today. So the first question I would have then is, can we as human beings actually be far from God? Can we go a distance from Him and be in a far off place or country from Him? Well, in one sense, you could say no, right? Because He's everywhere. Uh, if we look over here in uh, Jeremiah 23, uh, verse 24, or yeah, 23, 24 says, God says, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I can't see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? So in one sense, you can't go away from God because he's absolutely everywhere. He sees everything. But in another sense, you can definitely be far from God because we read also in that same book, Jeremiah 2, verse 5, God says to Israel, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? So, People can be far from God. And Jesus quoted Isaiah 29 in the New Testament. This people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. So you can be far from God. But is there really, though, a distance between us and God? You know, when we sin, is there a geographical distance? Is there a relational difference? Well, take a look at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Remember, at first they were very close to God, right? Completely. But then when they sinned, they became far away. And in fact, uh, God walked through the garden. Where are you, Adam? Not as if God didn't know where he was, but you've gone far from me, Adam. Where are you? And then after their sin, the judgment was that God drove out the man and the woman from the garden, lest they should partake also of the tree of life. And so he drove them a great distance from him because of their sin. And he placed a guardian cherub at the entrance to the garden to guard the way to the tree of life. So he drove them far, far away into a far country. Sin creates distance from God. Can you say this with me? Sin creates distance. Sin creates distance. Amen. Sin does create distance. If you look at Israel, when they sinned against God, God told them 
that they become very far from him. Let's look at that also in uh, Isaiah 59, God said, uh, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it can't save, or his ear dull that it can't hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you so that he does not hear. In other words, sin creates a great distance, Adam and Eve geographically as well, but always relationally. A far distance from God. He's there and we're way off in some far off place when we sin. It creates distance. Also, if you can think in a more modern example, consider a husband and wife who are in love and they're gazing into each other's eyes very closely, intimately, face to face. But one day they come home and one of them has an argument and has a bitter word and a sharp, stinging, biting attack towards the other. The other fights back. All of a sudden, what happens? A great distance develops in the relationship because of that sin, whatever it was, and they can no longer look in the eye, but their eyes turn outside and look out the window. Maybe they even run into a different room or slam the door or I'm going to go spend a night at the hotel or maybe ultimately even separate and maybe even end in divorce. So you can see how sin always creates a far distance as if you're in a far country, especially in heart. Consider the prodigal son. Remember his story in the New Testament. One got his inheritance from his father, the younger. Father, give me the share of my inheritance of the property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Then Jesus says, not, after not many days, the younger son gathered all that he had and took his journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and loose living. So a far, far off country is likened to a man in sin, according to Jesus. Indeed, a far, far place away from the Lord. Truth be told, the relationship can get cold. And we have all been far away from God at times in our lives. Indeed, whenever we sinned. And the world today, I declare, is far from God, because it lives in sin and unbelief, in evils and wrongs, and will not acknowledge those wrongs. So they are in a distant, far-off country I would call Death Valley. Think about what it is to live far away from the Lord. You're away from the lofty, beautiful mountain peak of Zion, Mount Zion, where God resides. You are in a far-off, cold, icy place. Can you picture it? A coldness. And it stings, and it's a place, a place of, uh, of darkness and shadows. It's a terrible thing to have a dreadful distance between you and God, and to be alone in that place far away. I myself have experienced that in my life and my own sins, especially in my early 20s. And far from God, it is cold, it's alone, it's terrifying, it's horrific. But the next question is, I want to ask is, what is it like, though, really, to go astray and away from God into evil? Is it really a bad experience? Well, at first, not really. Shockingly, at first, to go away from God might be fine, at least to your mind. Consider David and Bathsheba. We read in 2 Samuel 11, it happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch. And he was walking upon the roof of the king's house, and he saw a woman bathing. 
And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And they said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house. So how does it feel to go away from God? At first, David was like, this is great. He probably had a great night, at least for a very brief moment. And maybe she did too, because after all, he's the king. And after all, for him, she's beautiful. So the first taste of sin and going away from God is actually, can be, like honey. Tastes good. Consider also evil King Manasseh in the Bible. Remember him? 2 Kings chapter 21. Manasseh was just 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. But he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. According to all the abominable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So what did this King Manasseh, this evil King Manasseh do? He rebuilt the high places which his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He erected altars for Baal and Asherah. And as king, he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. In other words, he worshipped demons. He burned his own son as an offering to one of those demons. And he practiced soothsaying and augury, sorcery, and dealt with mediums and wizards. How do you think that was going for him? At the time, hey, this is great. I'm just indulging in everything I want to do. Why would people bite into sin if it didn't taste like honey to start, to go away from God? Take a drunken party at a, a modern college or fraternity to make it a little more modern for us. Do those young people, the young boys and young girls, young adults, getting together for a big booze cruise and a drinking fest and everything else they do in such places, is that a troublesome thing to them? It tastes like honey. Man, at least for a few hours, this is great. The husband and wife who fight in the home might even taste like it's a good fight for a time because even though it hurts, they're like, I'm justified and my berating tirade of you, you terrible louse. It might feel good to get all that out, like honey, at least for a few minutes. Which brings up another point, is that can we actually go away from God, but think we're actually drawing close to him in, in the right, and doing the right thing even? <laughs> Take a look at Paul. I mean, in his earlier life, he raged against the church. He sought to destroy the Christians to drag them off to prison, make them blaspheme, and wipe out the church from the face of the earth. And he actually felt, I'm in the right. God and I are close. I'm doing the Lord's will. So even if you're thinking you're doing your right, you may be very far from God. And he was getting further and further and further away by the day. I know in my early life, uh, in my early 20s especially, I was thinking I was serving the Lord. And I was reading these Eastern books, uh, Eastern religions and Native American mysticism and, and, uh, and New Age books and things. I thought I was drawing close to God, but boy, was I wrong. I was getting further and further and further away into a far, far off country. So people can sin, think they're close to God, and actually be far away from Him, even when you think you're doing right. For what is it again? Sin always makes a distance between us and the Lord, and between us and his country, 
and his heart. But sin can feel good at the first, like honey. Amen? Why would we bite into it otherwise? Next question, though, is, but how long does that last? That taste of honey. How long does the thrill continue when we go away from God? Answer, just a little while. That tiny little brief flash of a moment, and then it turns fiendish and evil, and disaster strikes quickly. You know, the path of sin, think about it, to go away from God leads down, as I said, into Death Valley. Imagine this place. It's forlorn. It's a, it's a, a place of shadows, a, a cold and icy valley. All kinds of pits and hobgoblins and, and uh, evil things dwell there. A land of darkness. And if you don't get out of it, that same path of lostness in darkness leads to a cliff called the Day of the Judgment of the Lord. The day of God Almighty, ultimately the wrath of God, and it'll plummet down into the abyss of hell, if not remedied. If you don't get out of that valley, that hell is the ultimate distance from God that you could go. So let's not go there. Remember, the taste of sin is honey to, to start, very sweet, but it quickly turns into darkness. Let's consider, uh, for example, David and Bathsheba. Good night, one night stand for David, would you say? He enjoyed it at least for a few minutes? Sure, probably for a few minutes. How'd it go after that, friends? Well, as soon as that's over and he sends her home, he's like, oh my goodness, what have I done? He probably felt a cold, icy sin, a feeling of guilt come over him. But that's okay. No one saw it. We can get away with this. Until the girl sends back word a short time later, uh, I'm pregnant. Oh no, what must I do now? Well, let's get her husband back from the battle lines. Maybe I can have him get drunk. He'll sleep with her and everybody will think it's his kid, not mine. I can cover it up, but he was too noble for that. Since his fellow men-at-arms were in the field, I can't go into my wife while they're out in the cold fighting. And he refused to go into her. So David sent him back to the battle line and had him killed. He murdered him. So do you see how sin starts like honey? And it quickly becomes poison and destroys you from the inside out and from the outside in because God's wrath was now heavily upon David. Also look at King Manasseh. Started out really great. Hey, I'm 12 years old. I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. I'm having a great time. And yet we see that God threw him into calamity. He had to pay for it soon thereafter. His enemies were sent against him. He was captured and dragged off to prison in Babylon, even geographically, into a far-off country, and he was far, far from the Lord. It turned bitter to him too. Drunken youths at a college fraternity party. You guys ever been there to such a thing? Well, it starts out a lot of fun. So a couple of hours later, you wake up in a Denny's parking lot <laughs> with vomit all over you, perhaps, and the girl, she is pregnant, just like Bathsheba. Oh no, now I've got a real situation on my hands. Honey turns to a bitterness and poison. And even for Paul, raging against the church, thinking he was in the right, God's wrath only burned the hotter, and he went only further and further from God, and was greater and greater under God's fury, under a cloud of black, uh, black cloud and lightning. Great evil was in his heart. It's the same for all of us, friends. 
you can bite into sin, but in a short time, it turns bitter and comes after you and sends you into a dark and gloomy place, into a, a far-off country, away from the light and the warmth of God and his castle on high and the warmth of his love. And you're all alone in a distant, icy land when the thrill of sin is over, the bitter aftertaste hits. Okay, to be at a distance from God, horrible thing, amen? Next question. What hopefully will happen next? And what is God hoping for? Answer, very simple, that you will repent. That's what God's after. What's it mean to repent when you've gone far from him? The word in the Greek is metaneo. I won't have you say that one. It means to turn. You're going in one direction. It means to turn and go in the opposite direction. From going away from God to turning towards him. Turning towards him by confessing your sin. By acknowledging your guilt. By uh, owning your evil and declaring your wrong. And turning to God in the hopes that perhaps he might have mercy on you to save you. So it's from going away from God and turning to God in repentance. Therefore, Jesus began his ministry, and it was his theme throughout, to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the next question is, what's God going to do, though, if you repent, if you turn from your sin, even if you're far, far, far away in a far-off distant country? How will God respond when a man repents and turns? Let me ask you, do you think it's a long way back to God or short? Is it a lengthy, lengthy, lengthy process, delayed, or is it quick and fast? Well, how about this? You sin greatly. You're far. You confess. You turn to God. Do you think he says, hmm, I know you're, sin you're confessing, but hey, you've had a lot of sins against me, against other people. Really hurt. I'll think about it, deliberate, and get back with you next Tuesday. Is that what God says? Or is it quick? Is, he, is it fast? Does he run to restore you the moment you turn? The answer here, friends, God wants you to know is he is quick to forgive and he literally, think about this, literally runs to you the moment that you even slightly turn in his direction, rushing in to save you, to forgive and restore you. Super fast, like lightning. Is that really true? Can we really bank on that? Well, consider David. He had these grievous sins. Adultery, murder, and then trying to hide it, and even going further from God. Nathan confronts him and says, your sin is known. And David finally, at that moment, owns up and says, I've sinned against the Lord. How long does it take God to rush in to save David? The very next line, immediately out of Nathan's voice is, God has put away your sin, you're forgiven, David. There were consequences to deal with, but immediately saved that instant, the next word. David later said in Psalm 32, when I declared not my sin, my body, it just wasted away through my groaning all day long. The poison, you know, for day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, God's wrath. It says, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then he says, I acknowledged my sin to thee, and I didn't hide my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, 
Then God forgave the guilt of my sin. Amazing. Adultery, murder, can he forgive you today and fast and rush in to save? He does. Be confident. How about King Manasseh, evil King Manasseh? I mean, sorcery, witchcraft, uh, uh, conjuring demons, uh, killing his own son in fire to an evil god, a false god. He was sent away into prison into a far country. But we read in scripture, at that place, Manasseh humbled himself, sought the God of his fathers, repented, and how long does it take God forget to forgive him? The very next line, God restored him to his throne and set him up, set him up again as king in Jerusalem. He's fast, I tell you, like a lightning bolt to save. The moment a person repents. Consider the adulterous woman. Remember John chapter 8? She's even caught in the act of adultery. And I wonder what that scene must have looked like when she was dragged before the crowds and before Jesus. Maybe she was just half naked, covering herself up, still caught in the act, shivering, cold, uh, terrified. She's about to be killed and uh, uh, destroyed and stoned by these people. How did Jesus deal with her? He sent her killers away, looked up to the woman and said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go and don't sin again. I mean, for adultery, you're supposed to die according to the law, but according to Jesus' grace, I'll forgive you and fast. Now go and don't sin again. Even Paul, consider him. I mean, this guy, he was the worst. He just, his aim in life was to destroy God's people. He says, I formerly blasphemed and persecuted and insulted Jesus, but I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief. And he says, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Say the word overflowed. overflowed. This is, he's saying it was like a waterfall pouring down from on high, overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of complete acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm the foremost, but I received mercy so that I could be an example to all those who are to believe in Christ forever of God's great uh, mercy, his patience, and his rushing in to save those who repent. Amazing grace, friends. It is fast working. The road away from God, okay, is long, devastating, tiring, and hard. But the road home is short, quick, easy, and marvelous in the grace of God. It's the road of repentance. But next question is, why is God so fast to close the distance between himself and you the moment you repent? You know why? Answer is, because he is good. He loves you. It's amazing love and amazing grace. It's mercy. And he delights to save. That's who he is. He's the God of life. He's the God of power. He's the God of salvation. Paul declared, 1 Timothy 2, God our Savior desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's his heart. And in Ezekiel he says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord. So turn and live. Just repent and I will rush in and get you saved instantly. And uh, remember how fast he saved the 
prodigal son. I mean, this guy's in a far-off country. He's squandered everything God gave him, lived with harlots, uh, done every evil. He's all forlorn. And we learn in that passage, Jesus tells us how it works. He says, the very moment, basically, that that sinner turned and even just slightly turned in God's direction, as soon as the father saw him on the road to repentance, he ran at him, embraced him, and kissed him, and restored him, saying, welcome home, son. Let's have a big party. You were lost, and you're alive again. And so he does that, I want you to know, with each one of you, each one of us. The moment we sin and repent, that's who he is. And he wants you to know that about him today, that he will save you and fast and quickly every time. He loves you. What else does God want us to know is that after he has saved you, what does God really want to be the result? Answer, joy. Joy for the two of you now, father and child, son, restored to friendship and to the great welcome home. He wants you to have joy and not be any more under that guilt. And they began to make merry, we read. But when we come back to God, you know what happens usually? God's joyful, but we remain still full of guilt. That's also in the prodigal son story. The father's hugging him, kissing him. Son, you're back, hooray! And the son is like, but father, father, I, I, I've sinned against you. I, I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just treat me as a hired servant, father. See, the father had joy, but the son didn't experience it yet. The father had to then convince his son to experience that joy with him until they could come in and have that fatted calf and have a great party and rejoice. So God says the same thing to us. A lot of times he forgives you, but we don't share in the joy of it because the devil comes in. And God says, don't let the devil come in and rob you of the joy I want you to have. The devil wants to say, no, you're not really forgiven. God's still angry with you. Or maybe he says, well, okay, God forgives you, but only you're on the edge. He's still miffed. He barely took you back. Or maybe, okay, God forgave you, but you'll never forgive yourself. This is going to haunt you to the day of your death that you did this thing. I won't let it rest. God says, don't listen to the devil on these things. The purpose of salvation that I give to you is joy, restoration, that we're home and we're together again. The Father says to you, all that you did in the past, that's all in the past. Forget about it. I've forgotten about it. Let's just go on in joy from now on. This, my son, you, you're lost, but now you're found again. You were dead and you're alive. And they began to make merry. So when you repent and come to God and he to you, don't sulk about with a black cloud over your head still. Come on, God says, you're saved. He's with you, I'm with you. And I put a rainbow over you instead and a clear, bright day. This is a joyful day. Let's, let's rejoice together. Do you feel that way? That's the way you're going about your life? That's what God's will is for you, joy. Then what should we do? God says, now that I've forgiven you and we're joyful together, Go out and do the same thing for other people. Forgive them as I've forgiven you. Let's go heal the world together, son. Last question today is this. But how can this really truly be? How can God really 
forgive so fast and quick even our great sins and worst evils of man? You know what the answer is? Jesus Christ. Because God sent his son to pay the ransom price for our sins. Listen, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why it can be so fast and quick, because the price has already been paid in full for every sin and evil of man. So the moment you turn to him, rushes in, saved, forgiven, applied to you. Let's rejoice. It's a time for joy. For all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We're all sinners. But the Lord God, the Father, has laid upon Jesus the Christ the sins of us all. And with his stripes, indeed, we are healed. Jesus' very last words in the Gospel of Luke. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. That's what I'm declaring to you right now. Repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name to you and the immediate salvation and joy that comes with it. And they began to make merry. Will you make merry with the Lord even now? In conclusion then, let me say this, okay? The road away from God. Yeah, that one's hard. It's long. It's devastating. It's horrific. But the road back to God, that's short and easy and fast. It's called the road of repentance and faith in Christ. And Jesus adds to you this promise and he who comes to me, I will never cast out. Amen.